So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. It's a passage of Scripture that I'm sure most all of us are very familiar with. Um, But as we do at Calvary Chapel, we teach verse by verse through the Bible. We're doing the book of John right now, so we're going verse by verse through that. So we come to a portion of Scripture that's familiar to all of us. We don't just say, well, everybody knows that, and we skip over it and move on. We still go through it because there's some great application in this text for us tonight. So imagine, if you will, if you're a, a small restaurant owner on some highway in, in Colorado, and you're used to closing your restaurant 9 o'clock at night, and you have this one particular night that you're open, you have maybe a half a dozen employees uh, as uh, owning this restaurant yourself, you're you know, overseeing these employees, you're preparing food, you're ordering supplies, you, you cover the whole thing because this is your business, this is what you do, so you care for it. And so about a quarter to nine on this particular night, you hear a rumble and outside pulls up a, the, the football team from CSU in the bus and they're hungry they all want to come in and eat and you close at nine o'clock now for you as the owner you're excited aren't you you're like man this is we can make some real money here because these guys are going to eat they're going to want to eat till they're full now the employees maybe not so much you know they were 15 20 minutes ago looking oh yeah we got we only got a half an hour to go then we're off we can get out of here and go do our thing and then this bus pulls up. The owner wants you to go ahead and stay and feed them. Yeah, you get paid for it. But you're not as into it as much as the owner would be, right? Because you're, it's just a job for you. But the owner, boy, that's their livelihood. And they're excited about all these guys coming in to eat. And this is going to be a similar situation as to what we're looking at tonight in our text. In that Jesus is really caring for these people. We see Jesus truly wants to feed the people, and the jury's still out on where the disciples are in this whole uh, situation, but we're going to look at the the text and see what it has for us. Starting with verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. There are several names for the Sea of Galilee, especially as we go through the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's referred to by several names, but the name they use for it today is the Sea of Galilee. And it's an interesting place to go to, to be on. Uh, In 2007, when I went to Israel, we got to go out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And you're thinking, you know, it's just a big lake. You know, it's not a big deal. But storms come up very quickly on this lake. And this particular day, we didn't have a storm, but we had a lot of wind. And so there were some serious whitecaps out there on the Sea of Galilee. And poor Pastor Jeff from Greeley, he was trying to teach in the boat, and it was all he could do just to stand up. We're just being tossed to and fro. And this wasn't even a storm. So I can imagine what it would be like in the middle of a storm on that sea. We'll look at that next week, actually, uh, and see what the text has to say on that. But uh, the Sea of Galilee, they crossed over it. Verse 1 tells us, it starts off with these three words, after these things which should cause us to say what? What things? What things are we talking about? Well, we just left chapter 5, and we know, uh, we looked at what Jesus had to say there, but what things are we talking about? We're so fortunate uh, to have what Paul states as uh, the full counsel of God's Word. The full counsel of God's Word. And if you've been around Calvary Chapel any length of time, you know that that's something that we want to teach verse by verse through the whole Bible to give you the full counsel of God's Word, everything that it has to say. So you have in your hands this evening the full counsel of God's Word, life's lessons, things that are life-giving to, to each one of us. 2 Timothy 3, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says that All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That what? That the man of God may be complete, 
thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God's word is given to us for us to study and to learn to equip us for every good work, the work that God wants us to do for him, for his kingdom. So all of what God has for us, and especially in these four gospels, where we look at and we study the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, it's documented for us. It's four authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different books, all in perfect agreement, perfect harmony. There's no contradictions there. Uh, you have people that try to come up with contradictions, don't you? And what's the best answer for that? You know, if they say, well, the Bible's just full of contradictions. The best answer is, show me. Show me where there's contradictions. Most of the time, the answers you're going to get is, well, I've you know, never really looked at the Bible that much myself, so I don't really know, but a friend told me that it's full of contradictions. Well, you know, look at it yourself and check it out. When we look at all four of these Gospels, when we study all four, it reveals chronology or a timeline for us. It's, we've talked about this before. A, a harmony of the Gospels puts all four Gospels together and then gives you a storyline of what's going on throughout with all of them being inclusive in that storyline. Let's take a quick look at chronologically of what has happened to this point. We just read in that first verse that it said, after these things. Well, what things? So we want to try to establish a timeline of events that have led up to the Apostle John stating this after these things. So the handout that you got, just pull that out real quick. Uh, we're going to just look at a couple things tonight. Uh, if you're wondering where I got this, maybe you've heard of the Blue Letter Bible online. Uh, they have this online, so you can look at it there as well. But I thought I'd print it out for everybody just as a reference tonight. But if you flip over to the second page, page two, under the heading, Ministry and Parables. And then if you take your finger and go down that column, about 11 lines up from the bottom, you see feeding of the 5,000, which is what we're looking at tonight. So the feeding of the 5,000 is where we are in our text. If you look at everything above that, that's the things that are the after these things. That's all the things that have happened. If we look at where we, where we left off last week, it gives a little more of an indication of what's going on as well. Grow up to on that same page to the feast and miracle at Bethesda. The third line underneath there, Jesus and the irate Jews. Well, that's where we were actually over the past few weeks. Jesus' interaction with these Jewish religious leaders, they were just not happy with him. They weren't in agreement with what he was trying to teach them and say to them. So you have that, and you look at in between those two that we've just looked at. A lot of things going on there, isn't there? All of these things that take place in the other gospel accounts between where we were in the last couple weeks and where we are tonight. So we can see the significance of the statement that John the Apostle is making here after these things. A lot of things have happened between chapter 5, verse 47, and chapter 6, verse 1. After these things. Now this is a pretty comprehensive list. There's a lot of stuff going on here. But we also know that the Apostle John writes in John chapter 21, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So we can rest assured that even this list that we can pull out of those four Gospels and know chronologically what took place, that there's just a whole lot of other stuff that happened as well that isn't documented for us. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's exciting for me because I think, man, when I get to heaven, I want to hear about the other things. What were some of those other things that happened? Hey, Peter, what were some of those other embarrassing moments you had that we don't hear of in Scripture or don't see? You know, Hey, John, what was it really like just to hang out with Jesus? What were some of the other things that... You guys talked about just in downtime when you were just hanging out together as disciples. What are some of the dumb questions you asked? So I don't ask the same one of Jesus when I talk to him, you know? I mean, I think there's just going to be some wonderful things that we learn when we get to heaven and we're able to talk with those guys. But this 
chronology, this timeline, uh, it helps us to better understand the full counsel of God's Word, everything that God has for us by looking at the other accounts of the same story. Now, this particular miracle is documented in all four Gospels. That doesn't always happen. Not everything's in all four of the Gospels, but this particular one is. So it's important for us to look at it. As we look at this harmony again, uh, look at the line item right above the feeding of the 5,000 that we talked about. The death of John the Baptist. Now we know this came about by some comments that John the Baptist made that led up to him being beheaded. So chronologically at this point, this after these things, John's already dead. So this one that we looked at early in the book of John, the one as the forerunner, the one who prepared the way, who preached a message of repentance, the cousin of Jesus, the friend of Jesus, he's died. And word of this comes to Jesus. During this time, this news of John's death coming to Jesus is one of the after these things that we're looking at. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, when you first look at that, that's interesting because you think, well, the disciples, they haven't done a whole lot up to this point. If you look at John's gospel and we look at what's been going on, Wow, they, they really haven't done a whole lot. But if you look at the other gospel accounts, Jesus has already sent out the 12 and he's given them the power to uh, over demons and to cure diseases. So they're doing a great work out there in the world. Jesus has sent them out. Luke chapter 9, verse 6 says, So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. These guys had their game on. They were out there doing ministry for the Lord. He had empowered them, and they're out there doing it. And it's one of the, after these things, it's one of those things that already happened. Then after a time, we also see in Luke chapter 9, verse 10, that they came back. And the apostles, when they had returned, told Jesus all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place. Now this would have included the message about John. Because see, during the time that they had been sent out, John had been arrested. There had been that time where John sent word through some of the disciples to go back to Jesus and even asked him, are you the Messiah? John was having his doubts. He's in prison. It seemed like everyone had forsaken him. He's by himself. And so John's on his own in this prison cell. The disciples talk to him. Somewhere during that time, He's called before Herod and he's beheaded. And now they bring this word back to Jesus. And they tell Jesus, hey, while we were out, we found out that John the Baptist, he's, he's dead. So while they were out ministering, they heard of his death. And some of them came and even buried him, the text says. And then they travel back to Jesus to tell him of all the things that he experienced because of him sending them out. And they also told of John the Baptist's death. Now can you imagine that scene? They'd gone out, they were preaching, they were healing people. These fishermen, <laughs> this group of guys that Jesus called, he's actually using them. They're seeing these things going on. They have to just be in wonder and in awe of what's happened. And so they're bringing back that news. They've got good news for him. And then they've got this news about John the Baptist as well. And this was tough for Jesus, I'm sure. He was the forerunner. He was the one that was introducing the people to Jesus. He baptized Jesus. They were close. They were cousins, but yet they were close in ministry. Jesus had a great uh, love for John the Baptist, great respect and admiration for him. So what happens then when Jesus receives this news? Turn, if you will, over to Matthew chapter 14. Hold your place in John. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 12. Matthew 14, verse 12. And we kind of have a recap of what we've been talking about here. But I wanted you to see this uh, for yourself. Verse 12, Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it. 
and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard of it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. So this is in the same place that we're looking at tonight, after these things. Jesus has just been given the news about John the Baptist, and he wants to go to this solitary place. He takes his disciples with him. So flip back over to uh, John chapter 6. So this great multitude followed. What was Jesus' response in that text we just looked at? He was moved with compassion for them. Matthew records that he had healed their sick, that Mark records that he taught them many things. Luke records both. He healed them and taught them during this time. So Jesus takes his disciples and goes to a solitary place, or so they thought. They've got these multitudes that are going to be coming. Verse 2 in John chapter 6, Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. This is one of these times that I think I was talking about before where we don't have any indication of what they discussed initially, but he sat with his disciples. And I'm sure they were still telling him all the stories uh, that they had experienced, these things, the ministry that they had done uh, through his power. And so it was a neat time, but we see that they see this multitude coming, this multitude following after them. And so something's going to have to be done there. There's an opportunity to minister to them. Verse 4 tells us that now the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was near. So there are three Passovers mentioned in John's Gospel, in his account. John 2.13, John 6.4 we have here, and then again in John 11, chapter 11, verse 55. So John 2, John 6, and John 11, the Passover is mentioned. Some of the other Gospels, I believe Luke on one, uh, he mentions four Passovers. But that's how uh, theologians come up with the timeline that Jesus' earthly ministry was about three years long. That's where they get that. They look at the Passover periods because that was a point in time. That was a a feast that they could use as a benchmark uh, for determining that. So John gives us this detail, and it helps us put things in perspective in regards to time. That's something we can look at. We know second Passover, book of John. But now in the rest of our text, we're going to see Jesus giving his disciples what we might call a problem-solving test. There's a problem. There's a solution. And what's going to be the solution? And we're going to see in this text what the problem is. And we're going to see four distinct solutions to this problem. Now, the first three solutions mentioned, they have their own unique merit, but they're not the solution that the Lord desires, the Lord desires to use. So what's, what's the problem? In all four gospel accounts, we see that there's this great multitude of people following Jesus, and that the multitudes followed is in and of itself not the problem. The needs of the multitudes were really not even the problem because Jesus had already cured diseases. Jesus had cast out demons. The problem is in this text is that these people are what? They're hungry. They're hungry. So this multitude had been traveling probably all day long. They still had a long trip back to where they were from. And they needed some nourishment for their journey. But how do you feed over 10,000 people all at once with no prior planning, no prior preparation? We've all done family reunions or had people over at our house. Uh, Chris and I, when we used to host the young adult study at our house for Calvary Chapel Greeley, uh, there were times when we had some fairly large group, but we had time to plan. And many times we had food left over, kind of. It always seemed to travel out the door with one or two of those college students. So it wasn't like we had leftovers. They had leftovers, which was fine with us. But we had time to plan for that. Okay, I got a large group of people coming over, and I got time to, okay, here's going to be the menu. We have this many people coming. You have time to plan. 
But 10,000 people out in a deserted place, a deserted area, what do you do? Now you might be saying, Pastor Jim, where do you get 10,000? I thought it was the feeding of the 5,000. We'll look at it later. The text shows us that it was 5,000 men and it wasn't counting the women and children. I think it's safe to assume you could double that and say at least, at least 10,000. This multitude, they're hungry. And the disciples, we're going to see as we go through the text, they offer up three solutions to this problem. But as I said, they're not the answer. So any problem we face in our lives, we know that there are different ways to solve it. Uh, we have our, our own way. Uh, this is what we think we should do ourselves to try to solve a problem. Others' way, uh, there's plenty of advice out there, plenty of people that will tell you, I think you should do it this way. It happens a lot with our spouses. We think, okay, this is the way to do it. And then when we find out, oh no, I was wrong. That's not the way to do it. Uh, I've been corrected and it's, it's time to do it the correct way. So we have our way, we have others' way, and then we have the Lord's way. And in all of those, the Lord's way is the correct way, isn't it? So what's, what's the problem? How do you feed this multitude of hungry people with no advance notice, with no prior planning? Well, we find the first solution in Matthew chapter 14. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, now this is the evening of the day that all the multitudes are following him, the day that this miracle is going to take place. So it's evening, late afternoon, it's a deserted place and the hour is already late. That's what the disciples say to him. And then they, first solution, send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves some food. There's one solution, first solution we have. Send them away. If you'd like to take notes, solution number one, get rid of the problem. <laughs> Just get rid of it. In essence, get rid of the people you get rid of the problem, right? The disciples recognized the need. They recognized that the people did need food. And the simplest solution, at least this first solution, was to tell them to leave and have them find their own food. Get rid of the people and get rid of the problem. The people, yeah, they're still hungry, but hey, they're gone. Not our problem anymore, right? I also have to wonder too, though, What's behind this? Were the disciples hungry? <laughs> Were they concerned about the people or themselves? Well, Jesus, I think what we should do here is we should get all this multitude to leave. Leave so they can go get food on their own. That's, that's what I think we should do, Jesus. Because I'm really hungry, you know. I want to get something to eat myself, you know. We know that. Uh, we, we can have that happen in our own lives, in our own households. Wife comes home from work. Hey, hon, how was your day? Oh, it was good. Are you hungry? <laughs> well, what you're saying is, you're not asking me if I'm hungry. What you're saying is, you're hungry. So you want food. You want sustenance, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you see behind the scenes here, yes, I am hungry. So I think that may be what's going on with the disciples as well. They were hungry. And it's understandable. They'd been busy all day as well. So, yeah, they were probably hungry too. But what was the motivation behind them wanting to send the people away? Concern for themselves or concern for others? When Chris and I were first married, uh, be 34 years in May, we would typically try to hang out with our families some on the weekends. We still lived back in Illinois where our parents lived. And weekends were a time that we could go to their house, free food, you know. So we would go there. It was an opportunity to get something to eat. But my dad used to have this saying. He would ask, hey, are you guys coming over tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, I think we will, Dad. And Dad would say, well, then why don't you uh, come after breakfast, bring, bring your lunch, and leave before supper? And he would always laugh, but I always wonder, is he really, is he joking or, <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, it, it's, a, it's a humorous story. We still laugh about it, but it would take the pressure off him to feed us, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think the disciples here, they had concern for the people. They, they saw the need 
And they felt as if the people needed to leave to solve the problem. Why? They were very limited in their view of what could take place, of how this problem could be solved. Which is kind of interesting because after these things, Jesus had already sent them out as a twelve to heal people and to preach the gospel and all these things. They should really know by now nothing's impossible for Jesus. They didn't get it yet. So they felt these people needed to leave in order to solve the problems. Maybe you've heard it said, a pastor say, you know, ministry would be much simpler if it wasn't for all these people. It would, wouldn't it? Ministry would be very simple if it wasn't for all the people that came. You wouldn't have to do much of anything. But there wouldn't be a whole lot of ministry going on either, would there? It would just be you and God. Lord, I want you to use me. <laughs> okay, right. You don't want any people around, so how can I use you? So solution number one, send the people away. It was a a solution to the problem. It's just not the right one. You've heard the saying, my way or the highway. In this case, their way was the highway, wasn't it? Move on, get out of here. <laughs> but it's not the Lord's way. So continuing on in Matthew's account, uh, chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Hmm. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, back in John chapter 6, verse 5, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Verse 6 says, but he's, this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus already had a plan. We were talking about that earlier, right? Oh man, we got a plan. We got to be prepared. We got to be ready for this group of people that's coming over that we've got to feed. Jesus already had a plan. He himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He was going to perform a great miracle. And we're going to see that he's going to involve the disciples in this ministry opportunity as well. Verse 7 Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. So, first we had what? Get rid of the problem. Now number two, if you're taking notes, solution number two, we have throw money at the problem. <laughs> We've all seen that in the real world before. Well, here's the situation. Well, let's just throw money at it. That'll correct it. That'll fix it, right? The problem is What's enough money? Study the life of Solomon. That'll give you a good indication of what's enough money. But Philip is stating that even a large sum of money would not be enough to feed this multitude. I think Philip put some thought into this. Uh, he'd counted the cost. Uh, a denarii in that day was the equivalent of a day's wages. So he's basically saying that 200 days worth of wages wouldn't be enough to feed all these people. It's a lot of money, but it's still not enough. And he obviously tried to figure out how much bread would be needed and calculated that 200 denarii wouldn't be enough. Or maybe, another thought here, it was just a ridiculous number that he threw out there <laughs> to say that it wouldn't be enough to buy food. We, we do that too, don't we? Uh, well, you can't do that. Well, that, that would cost, you know, a kajillion hundred and fifty dollars or whatever, you know, whatever. Whatever number we just throw out there to just make it, that's just ridiculous. We, we can't afford that, so we're just not going to do it. You know, it's just too much money. That could have been what, what he was doing. Can't do it. It's too expensive. It's just going to cost too much. Way too much money. Maybe you've heard, you know, in the business world, uh, it's said that enough time and enough money with enough resources, you can solve any problem. You know, enough time, enough money, enough resources, you solve any problem. It's not always the case, because in this case, they were out of time. <laughs> the people were hungry. 
People were hungry right now, and it appears as though from Philip's response that they didn't have the money. There wasn't, it wasn't like they had this account that they could reach into and pull out enough money to feed all these people, right? So then what about resources? Well, now it's going to get interesting. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? So number three, the solution number three, throw resources at the problem. So get rid of the problem, throw money at the problem, now throw resources at the, at the problem. We've got, this, we've got some bread here and some fish. What, what can we do with that? So they found this boy with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Well, they knew it wouldn't nearly be enough to feed a portion even a portion of the people. Five loaves, two fish, over 10,000 people. Well, Andrew says, Jesus, Jesus, uh, we found some food here, but <laughs> we got some food here, we got some loaves, we got some fishes, but why is it that more often than not, when the Lord wants to do a work, our butts seem to get in the way? Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> but Lord, but Jesus, but, but, but. Our butts get in the way of the work that God wants to do. We look at a situation practically. Jesus wants to do something supernaturally. We lack faith. And he wants us to walk in faith. As Christians, I think it's often we do that because we know, we understand we have confidence that Jesus can do this. We just lack the faith that he will, don't we? I don't think any of us in here doubt what we know about Jesus. He's capable of anything. Nothing is, is impossible for God. However, we don't always believe that he will, do we? We know that Jesus has the power to overcome anything. We just have doubts that he will for us. On this project we got going, the building across the street. Yeah, there's needs there. We could throw money at it. We can throw resources at it. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. But you see, we know, those of us that have been involved with it up to this point, we know God led us there. God has provided already. God continues to provide. It's His work. You see, if the Lord's in it, if the Lord's directing it, He's also providing for it. Pastor Chuck made a statement years ago that still rings true today. Where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. Maybe not always in the way that we perceive that He should. We're not in charge of that, are we? But if we let Him guide... He knows what's needed. He will provide for it according to His perfect will and according to His perfect timing. Where God guides, God provides. If God's leading you, me, us in a direction, if it's the Lord's direction for us to go in, then He's already got the provision figured out. Why would He send us in that way to have us fail? He's not going to do that. He wants us to be led by Him so we can see Him provide for us and give Him the glory for His provision. Amen? So here we see that He's going to use what's available and He's going to multiply it. He's going to use these resources. He's going to use His disciples to distribute this food. He's going to let them see firsthand His provision. He's involving them firsthand in the provision. Um... Several years ago, I went to a conference down in Tucson, and one of the pastors there was sharing that when he first started off with his church, he saw the resources that he had, but he also had this vision that God had given him. It's like, God's given me a vision for this ministry, but as I look around me, man, I've only got resources that go this far. And he said, over time, what God taught me was, yes, 
here's your resources, here's the vision that I gave you, everything in between is faith. That's the gap in between. So I came back from the conference and one of our uh, college-age students was an art major. And so I asked her, I gave her that picture and I said, man, I would love to have something to hang on my wall that, that captures that. And of course, I'm thinking, a hand, a hand, you know, resources, vision, and in between faith. Just simple pencil drawing, just, you know, scribble something up. You, you don't tell an art major just to scribble something up. Yeah. They're going to retire on a project. You just give them, you've got complete uh, creativity on this particular project. And they do what God has gifted them with. They, they create something. They create something very special. And she did it. It took forever. Uh, art majors do that too. They just take a long time. Not intending to, you know, offend anyone uh, here tonight, you know, if you are an art major, but <laughs> inside joke. Anyway, uh, so I, I think it was probably a month later, she gets back to me and she brings it in. She goes, now you told me I had creative liberty, right? Yeah, I was so excited to see what it was going to be. And she said, so here's what I came up with. And it was in two pieces and she uncovered it. She goes, do you need me to explain it to you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do. And it was a picture of this little girl. And the little girl's name was Faith. Makes sense. So there's these two pieces to this painting that she did. And she's reaching up with one hand. And she's got some type of seed in the other hand, which I discovered was a mustard seed. Makes sense. And then her hair kind of went up and her hair went from, well, it was kind of a crazy afro thing, but it kind of went up curly and then turned into a tree, you know, up above. Art major, what can I, what can I say? <laughs> but as she started to explain it, I was just blown away by her insight into this because it was in two pieces. The girl's name is Faith. What's going on up above is her vision. She's reaching up to God. She's holding this little mustard seed of faith in her hands and there's like these ghost hands holding that hand up. And she said, here's the vision, here's the resources, and the gap in between the two paintings is faith. Whoa! <laughs> That's so deep! Can you explain it to me again so I can tell other people? Because <laughs> it's so deep I don't know if I'll capture it, you know? Still have that. I want to, I don't know if I'll put it up in my office across the street or somewhere in the hall or whatever. It is the coolest painting. I just, I just really appreciate it. So resources, vision, and everything that's in between is faith. It's all about faith. How much faith do we have? Again, back to the building across the street, something that we can relate to right now. If we had all the money necessary we needed to, to rent or even buy that building across the street, just this huge abundance of money. If we had all this money and we had plenty of money to remodel the building across the street, do all the latest and greatest best improvements on it, really make it shine, really make it special. And let's say to do this we had enough money that we could hire the best contractors in the area to do all the work. Well, if we could do all of that, there would be no need to involve any of us at all, would there? None of us would have to do anything. We got all this money, let's throw at it. Let's just get it done that way. Now Jesus could have done the same thing with the feeding of the 10,000, right? He could have just said, poof, and fish, chips, <laughs> drinks. I mean everything. Little happy meals for everybody. Everything, all they need right there. Is poof. He could have done that, couldn't he? but it would have precluded or it would have not included a ministry opportunity for his disciples to become involved, right? You know, again, our building. Sure, in the end, the other way, we'd have a really nice building. But what kind of faith did it take to get there? If everything was just provided, here, go do this, go build this, you know? What kind of testimony would each one of us have of the provision that God had done and is doing. Uh, 
you know, we'll be able to talk about it and say, well, you know, halfway through the project, we didn't know exactly what we we're going to do here. God provided. We'll have that testimony. It'll be a testimony to the community of what God did. We won't have a thermometer on the wall over there. We're almost there. <laughs> if you give a little more, we'll get there. Get that thermometer up. You know, there's not going to be that kind of thing going on. We're just going to trust God. And so far, God has provided. It's just been amazing. And you, you guys know us. We don't, Calvary Chapel, they just, we just don't ask for money. There's an offering box in the back there somewhere. If you want to give, you give. But it's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to be up here to beat on you. Oh, you need to give or we're not going to get in there. We're not going to be able to. We don't do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to trust God and watch God provide so that we can give God all the glory uh, when he, we see the work that he does. So where God guides, God provides, and that's a faith builder for us. God wants us to have faith, and so when he provides, it builds our faith. So Jesus here is going to perform a miracle and involve his disciples in the process so they can see. So solution number four, God's provision for the problem. <laughs> Get rid of the problem, throw money at the problem, throw resources at the problem. God's provision for the problem. Back in verse 6 it said, for Jesus, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what he was going to do the whole time. He had it all figured out. It had to probably be humorous to him as they kept coming up with solutions. Well, you know, we could. Oh, well, we could, do that. we could do that. You know, here's something you might think about, Jesus. You know, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Verse 10, Jesus said, make the people sit down. <laughs> now, he didn't stop there. It goes on, but I think, I think that's kind of funny almost. Okay, here's the first thing we're going to do. 10,000 people, have them sit down. Okay, okay, we'll have them sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. We also see in the account in Mark chapter 6, then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. There seems to be some order to this as well. Right. I, I, he didn't have them just 10,000 people. Everybody sit down. Simon says, sit down. You know, I mean, it wasn't something like, stand up. It was very orderly. He had them sit down in groups. Why? Because he knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to use his disciples to distribute this food, and it was going to take some order to do it effectively, efficiently. Matthew chapter 14, verse 21 says, Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides the women and children, as we looked at before. That's how we get this we don't know what the number was, but over 10,000 probably. So the disciples are going to get a lesson not only in the Lord's provision, but also how to effectively carry it out. They're just going to learn all kinds of good stuff here. God's provision is always effective and efficient. God does things well. Tell me somebody else that created everything in six days. I mean, he does it effectively, he does it efficiently. God's good. All the time. All the time. God is good. I wondered if I would get that, you know. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> Verse 11, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So Jesus took the resources available and did what? What do we see? The first thing he did, he gave thanks. When? He gave thanks before the provision, didn't he? Given thanks before anything has happened. In the power of God, he himself knew what he would do. <laughs> I think it's a really good lesson for us. So it's a really good application for us tonight to give thanks before the provision. It's easy to give thanks after, isn't it? Hey, look what happened. Oh, Lord, we just give you thanks for this wonderful work you did. But to give thanks before requires faith. Lord, we're going to give you thanks now for the work you're going to do. We have no idea what you're going to do exactly. <laughs> but we're going to give you thanks 
for that work. We're going to submit this to you, Lord, and watch you work, watch you provide, and we're going to give you thanks for it now and after, but certainly before as well. So the text says that everyone had more than they needed and as much as they wanted. There was plenty. They ate until they were full. They were satisfied. They had plenty. That, that, that phrase in there uh, fascinates me because where in our lives can we actually say that we had more than we need and as much as we want? We're not easily satisfied, are we? More than we need? Okay, we've all been blessed way more than, than what we need. But as much as we want, the flip side of that, that, well, I got more than I need, but gosh, I wanted so much more, you know? How do you balance that in your life? And then I also have to wonder, maybe it's just me, but how did it taste? How did the bread and the fish taste? I mean, for all practical purposes, it was fast food, right? It, it's fast food. So how did it taste? Well, in John chapter 2, I think it should give us some indication. When Jesus changed the water into wine, oh, it was good wine. It was the best wine anybody had ever had. You saved the best wine to last. So I don't think we can doubt how this tastes. Man, this is good fish. What did they use on this? What kind of seasoning you know, did they use? How did they... How long did they grill it or whatever, you know? Who knows? But I, this was just good fish and it was good bread as well. Oh, this is good. I'm eating until I'm full. Man, this is good. I am enjoying this. Best bread, best fish ever. It had to be fresh, right? <laughs> he just made it, right? So it was fresh fish and it was fresh bread. But he's not done. The multitudes have been fed, but Jesus is not done. Now comes the opportunity for uh, lessons to be learned on the part of the disciples. Verse 12, So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Pick up the leftovers. Maybe a brief but a little lesson on stewardship there for him. Hey, let's not let any of this go to waste. Uh, pick up the leftovers. But there was more to it than that. Verse 13, Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. So how many disciples? Twelve. How many baskets full? Twelve. A full basket for each disciple? Now think about it. If these guys were hungry and then all of a sudden Jesus starts doing this miracle... They don't get to eat till after everybody else had been fed. They're distributing all this food. They see it going out. Oh, great. <laughs> Another 3,000 to go on my side. We're going to run out of food. I'm not going to get anything to eat. We're going to run out of food. I'm not going to have anything. Whatever was going on in their minds, whatever they might be saying, Jesus was teaching them this lesson. My provision is enough for you. More than enough for you. So I entitled this, the teaching tonight, Proof of Provision. Here's the proof. God provided, and there was enough left over for them as well. They're holding it in their hands. Proof of this miracle, proof of the provision that God had, not only for the multitudes, but also for them as well. Where God guides, God provides. Verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Probably the understatement of the day, you know. <laughs> you think? Yeah, he's special, isn't he? Uh-huh. But it's further confirmation for these 12 sent-out ones whom Jesus had given power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. In case any of them were thinking, they come back, hey, well, Jesus, we did this and we did that. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm a, I'm a pretty special disciple, I think. Uh, you know, I don't know where you've got me in the hierarchy, you know, of your whole ministry thing, but I had it going on out there when you sent us out. 
So I'm thinking, you know, you might have a special place for me in all of this because, man, I'm doing pretty good. But I think this whole act right here showed him uh, Jesus is something very special. <laughs> he does over and above what they could even imagine. They saw him work through them when they were sent out. They, they saw the power of Jesus work through them and affect the lives of people. They saw him provide and, they, and use them in the distribution process in this text. He involved them in that ministry, the ministry opportunity that he gave them to become involved so that they themselves could take a step of faith and be blessed by the work that he was doing through them. Again, I keep alluding to the building. We have that opportunity for, for us to rally together and do some work over there and just see God put it together. I am so excited to see what he's going to do. I mean, what he's already done. It's just, it's just amazing. I'm in an awe of the way he's provided already. So this was another faith builder lesson for these disciples. And it should be for us as well. Where God guides, God provides. God's provision is amazing. You know, God's not impressed with our abilities, is He? He is impressed with our availability. Any ability that we have come from where? Come from God. So God's not impressed with our ability. He's the one that gave it to us to start with. God, you, you, obviously you see how good I am at this thing or that thing. God's like, well, yeah, I, I gave you that. So, no, I'm not all that impressed. You wouldn't have it if I hadn't blessed you with it. But... Are you available for me to use you and for you to use that very thing that I gave you the ability to do? Are you available? So he's blessed when we make ourselves available for him. And then he blesses us in the process because we get an opportunity to be a part of what, what he's doing. Scripture says that nothing, no thing is impossible for God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.